Blog Talk Radio. We got to hear from the black community is how and what they are doing among themselves about the crime problem in the black community. When, when, you know, when there are 60 shootings in Chicago over the 4th of July and 14 murders and Black Lives Matter is non-existent, and then there's one police murder of very questionable circumstances, so, and we hear from Black Lives Matter, we wonder, do Black Lives Matter or only the very few black lives that are killed by white policemen? But not all those black lives that are killed by other blacks. And on the, on the black side, what they hear from us is constantly defending the police. And they talk about uh, killing police officers and they yell it out at their rallies and but the police officers Mr. Mayor, it. but Mr. Mayor, what, what and you the reality is, is taking... please, please let me finish. And when, and when you say black lives matter, that's inherently racist. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani talking about the community that you were just talking about said that the Black Lives Matter movement is, in Mayor Giuliani's view, quote, inherently racist, and he said that some of the methods of the group enables the kind of horrific tragedy we saw in Dallas. What do you think? He is obviously speaking for himself, but there are a number of conservatives out there who, who share that view. Look what the president said when the Black Lives Matter people in one, one demonstration said, you know, kill the police, the sooner the better, or some phrase like that. The president condemned it immediately, but that's not, that's not the black community, that's not the community. They, they, that group, that element of Black Lives Matter doesn't speak for all of Black Lives Matter and does not, does not um, speak for those folks in the black community, both middle class and poor, who know they are more likely to be pulled over than the Caucasian guy. They know that in many cases they are, they are the focus of the police as opposed to other communities. And so uh, it, it is just a very broad statement. There are some people in Black Lives Matter who don't want to talk and have dialogue and others who do. But to make it sound like it's the NAACP or it's a, it's, 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 it's a major uh, African-American organization, it is an umbrella of all kinds of people who feel like there is discrimination that exists in some police departments, in some neighborhoods, and they want to talk about it and they want to deal with it. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. <laughs> If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any. Turn us around. 
what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he is alive. Welcome in America. This is AJC Radio, and tonight, stand by would be the instruction. Tonight, part two, the double standard with the race problem in America as five officers are remembered today. Two victims of police shootings are also remembered. Tonight, we take a look at the double standard, the language and the tone of the disparity in the African-American community. Joining us tonight, Pastor Rose Banks chimes in on the problem we face and the challenges that lie ahead. Also joining us will be Cheryl Dorsey, uh, former uh, Los Angeles, she's a Los Angeles native, former police officer there in Los Angeles, and will also be joined by attorney and advocate uh, uh, Ariva Martin. She'll be joining us as well. Folks, this discussion gets deeper By the second, we're coming back. AJC Radio kicks off racism in America. We deal with that issue, part two, tonight. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the AJC Radio team, folks. Tonight we deal with issues that are going to hopefully cause you to think. And that's the point, thought-provoking discussion, as we had here, uh, Dennis, on uh, Thursday, talking about some real issues facing a lot of people in this country. And uh, we're going to deal with that. Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners. Yes, we want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You'll need to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of A Just Cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us this evening. All right, and thank you for that, Lisa. And we're going to get into this discussion tonight. Folks, feel free to call in and get to be a part of the conversation, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And we're excited tonight to get into this dialogue, Lisa, as so many things have happened uh, and the memorial for the officers was, was held today. We, we are facing some challenging times ahead, Lisa, as we fight and get ready to step to the problems that we face right now. Yes, we definitely are. We've got we've to gotta, we've gotta make some moves. We've got to make some strides and start moving forward. Things are moving. Things actually are not moving. They're standing still. They've got to start moving forward. Absolutely. Dennis, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Uh, we really got to come together as a, uh, as a nation. 
and we really got to put our priorities straight and figure out how we're going to get this fixed so that everybody has equal, you know, um, opportunity in, in this community to survive, to, to not be stereotyped, to, you know, all that stuff. Love. We just need to get that out of here. And absolutely, and these are one of those things uh, that, that can become challenging uh, as, as so many emotions are going and flowing right now. Uh, in this country regarding the racism and the divide that's happening in this country. Uh, You're going to hear a little bit uh, from President Obama, what he had to say today, I thought uh, was outstanding, spoke very, very well uh, in regards to uh, the issues and the challenges we face in this country. And as I tell you what, he was commander-in-chief today as he sought to heal a nation uh, and to bring put some things on the table that uh, Cliff honestly will put us hopefully in a better position to deal with the racial inequality, if you will, facing us right now. Absolutely. I mean, you you look at um, what the president said, you contrast that against um, former Mayor Giuliani and also Vice President Biden. And you you I mean, that is it shows the true picture of divide. On one side, you have where uh, Giuliani is is basically continuing the rhetoric, taking, uh, you know, one statement from one group of people comparing that to deaths in Chicago. when I mean, we have the whole country. And sure, Chicago has uh, probably the highest uh, murder rate, but you, you cannot compare, um, you know, say that the Black Lives Matter movement is racist because of something that uh, one person who claims that they're a part of that movement makes. And Vice President Biden uh, really laid it out, and the president echoed the same sentiment that it's about coming together to ensure that everybody – feels like you know that we all have the that we all have the same value and that's where it's at i mean you you have the african-american communities and you have law enforcement and there feels like that the value on the black life is not the same you don't put the same value on a white life that is a disparity and and so many times you have to realize that um you know Perception is reality when it comes to things like that because people are dying. And so you cannot just leave it out there and say, well, it it doesn't matter because it does. No, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of America, right now we take a moment of silence to remember the officers and also the two victims that have died in the last week, the total seven victims that we lost. Let's take a moment of silence to remember them. Folks, we'll be right back. Whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice 
could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. Uh, I am Lamont Banks, and this is AJC Radio, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, as tonight we continue to deal with the issues of the double standard on racism in this country, given the events that have transpired. And joining us now is Ariva Martin, uh, an advocate and attorney, well-respected. And uh, Ariva, if I can call you that, welcome in to AJC Radio. Yes, hey, how are you? Glad to have uh, a part of this really critical conversation that's going on all over the nation. No, we, we're very appreciative. We understand you are a very busy young lady, and uh, we appreciate you gracing us tonight with your presence and your perspective on a very troubling issue right now in this country. And, you know, uh, you have to be living under a rock not to know the extreme issues facing this country right now. And I'm going to just give you the floor, uh, Ariva, and introduce yourself. And we're going to talk about this dialogue with the double standard, it seems to be, in this country. And I'm going to just say it, black lives matter. And uh, we need to have that discussion. Go ahead. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. So as you said correctly when you introduced me, I am a civil rights attorney. I'm a, a legal and social issues commentator on a number of different networks and shows. I also serve as a TV talk show host, I've done a lot around this issue of the criminal justice system. I've probably been talking about this thing I call justice uh, for the last two years. I'm originally from the St. Louis area, although I live in Los Angeles, but I have a very vivid memory of the Sunday uh, in August back in 2014 when I got a call from a news station uh, about the uh, unrest that was unfolding in Ferguson, 
behind the shooting death of Michael Brown. And I feel like I've been talking about death of African-American men by police nonstop since 2004. Uh, And I, I, I don't see much changing from a policy standpoint. I, I can say that in the time that I've covered just, and I can call the role on you from Tamir Rice to Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, Walter Scott, uh, Ezell Ford in Los Angeles, that long list, some things are different. Police forces in most of these cities step up now. They hold press conferences sooner than in the case of Michael Brown. They're more willing to provide information about the names of the officers. They'll talk more openly about investigations. They'll call in sometimes independent investigators. They'll call on the feds to come in. So some things have changed. But what hasn't changed, I think, is a real will in this country by our legislators to tackle these issues at a way that's going to prevent because it's not enough for us to hold, you know, vigils and, and moments of silence and, and, and the protests. And I, and I love the protests because I think the protest keeps the media attention and the awareness uh, at its highest level. But we've got to get past the reaction that occurs every time one of these murders take place and, and figure out how do we get ahead of this problem. And that's what I think is on the minds and hearts of socially conscious folks like you and me and and others that we know who are really trying to get our arms around how do we get to a unbiased uh, and just and equitable criminal justice system. And Ariva, let me ask you this question because during the course, and again, it's not just as you as you allude to those stories, the the Michael Brown, the Walter Scott, the Eric Gardner, and I've found myself going back looking at these videos, looking at these horrific acts of just murder. What I find is, and what we wanted to kind of, and I want to get your thoughts on this, it seems like that until the discussion is open and raw, and that's that's not always comfortable, but until we get to the raw issue and the core of why we are dealing with the issues we're dealing with this country, what motivated this man in Dallas, no justification to take human lives on ever. You never do that. But the conversation has to go to what prompted, what pushed this man to the edge to say, I'm tired. And he made that statement very clear. I'm tired of seeing our black people killed by police officers. It doesn't justify his acts. But I think the right. core of the conversation, you have to dig deeper. What pushed this man? And it has been race relations in this country for over a long period of time that continues to deteriorate. My question to you is that I believe the same emphasis on these police officers that is put on the memorials, all the stuff that's done for them, and I take nothing away from my heroes. There are great police officers out there, and we'd be a very messed up society without them right now. We know that. Amen. You know what I mean? And I just want to make that point clear to our listeners. We have heroes. And as as I listened to President Obama today and the young lady that they shielded her her and her two children, they shielded her. They put a shield so her kids would not get hit. She got hit and shot in the leg. But I thought it was so heroic. This is – and I'll say what the president said today. This is the America I know. And that's what we have to kick into. When you – Think about that. And my thought was, uh, a real. I didn't think 
uh, we should leave the conversation for the two victims. The president did an outstanding job bringing those two victims in, those family members in. How do we get in a pattern of treating everybody the same and not have that double standard? At least the perception is maybe we don't matter as much as a police officer. Well, I think what the president also did in his speech, that powerful and very eloquent speech, is is reiterated something that the chief David Brown has said. And I I think somebody wants to run uh, Chief Brown for president because he's been so eloquent throughout this horrific experience. And I, I, like you, don't believe there's any place for violence. We don't, you know, the civil rights movement was, was, comes out of a nonviolent, you know, uh, commitment. And there was never a sense of violence for violence. And we know that violence doesn't solve any of these problems. So I mourn the loss of those officers in the same way that I mourn the loss of African-American men that have been killed by the police. But I think David Brown and the president said it best when they said, we're asking too much of police. We're asking police to deal with the social ills that we as a country aren't dealing with. So what is causing the economic issues, the the lack of jobs, the lack of opportunities, the poor education, all of these ills that, that exist in poor communities, and then you ask police to go into these communities and to police them in a way that is ignorant or some or divorced or disassociated from all that's happening in those communities. And that's just a formula for failure. The police are going that they go they're humans and I don't think all the bias training in the world is going to prevent a, a police officer from going in certain neighborhoods and not feeling themselves threatened. Every time they see an image of an African-American man uh, committing a crime or being charged with a crime, they go into those communities feeling as if they could be the subject of a crime. And I I don't think it's a wise policy for us to expect us to be able to change our criminal justice system unless we are willing to address all of the other inequities that African-Americans and Latinos and some other marginalized groups face in this country. Because okay. the criminal justice system is just a microcosm, and it is a part of a larger uh, you know, society. So when we look at young men, black men, in, in our country, what we hear more often than not, they're, they're at higher rates of incarceration, incarceration, higher rates of drug use, higher rates of unemployment, higher rates of, of dropout. We've got to look at all of that. All of that has to be on the table as we wrestle with the injustices in the criminal justice system. No, I believe that's definitely true. Uh, these are contributing factors, Ariva, that you're talking about. Uh, like you said, the wrongful, the incarceration, how these inmates, and then and, and the, here's the other side of it, Ariva. You have African-Americans being targeted within the prison system from law enforcement, the law enforcement side of the prison system. Uh, you know what I mean? There's, so when they get out of prison, they feel like they're nothing. And I think your point is well taken. I think that's a good point because the entire culture, just like we don't expect an officer to go in in, in a black community not being apprehensive because of what he's seen, well, how can you expect the African-American community to be just at ease when they get pulled over by a police officer? I think nobody's it's going impossible. to understand. It's impossible. And I'll give you a good example. There's this new app, this Pokemon Go app, hottest game on the planet right now. Uh, Somebody had the brilliant idea, make an app where people literally have to go out and search for monsters. 
And I read an article today where an African-American 25-year-old guy said, look, I was outside and something hit me. Like, look, dude, you better not be out here looking suspicious, looking for a monster. You're going to fool around and, and somebody's going to call the police and they're going to say a black man walking in the neighborhood looking suspicious. And, and oh. you know, to put it bluntly, he said, I better take my black ass home. So that is a reality that African-American men, that is a burden, a very heavy burden that they carry. And the president talked about that, the talk. You know, we've got to tell African-American children and teens how to act with police, how to act when you're in white neighborhoods, how to act when you're in certain environments. That's not the reality for a 18-year-old white kid that lives in a middle-class neighborhood in Iowa. There is no talk. Because their sure. experience with law enforcement is going to be different. So, I mean, all of these issues have to be on the table as we try to, you know, get to solutions. And I don't really think uh, some of these solutions to me are, are not all that complicated. Why right. did Micah Johnson have an assault rifle with a level of, of, of ammunition, body armor, and all of the equipment that you would need in a war. Why does he have access to that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, I mean he, that's just that gun question. And then whenever we try to have it, you know, the Second Amendment folks, oh, you're trying to take all of our guns away. We have a constitutional right. Well, I've never read in the Constitution that you have a right to an assault rifle. That's not in the Constitution. Right. Right. So right. some of these issues to solve, they just require a, a will. They require courage from our elected officials. And I tell people all the time, uh, you know, we're frustrated that district attorneys aren't charging cops. Guess what? We elect district attorneys. So we got to ask everybody in all of our communities. It's not just about voting when there's a presidential election. What are you doing in your local election? Who is your yeah. district attorney? No, Who absolutely. is your mayor? Your mayor appoints your police chief. David Brown is the police chief in Dallas because he was appointed by a mayor. So who are the mayors in these cities? Who are the district That's... attorneys in these cities? So we yeah. as individuals, I, I don't want people to feel so powerless, like there's nothing I can do but complain. No, there's a sure. whole lot we can be doing that's within our power to do. And it's not just when Obama's on the presidential ticket or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. It's election. Local elections happen in communities all day, every day. There's probably an election going on every day in this country in some community. It's not sexy. It's not high profile. It's not on television. But it impacts people and public safety and policing, all of those things at the local level. Critically important. Cliff, you had a question for real? Yeah, Reva, I wanted to go back to uh, your your uh, point about the uh, the community and how African you know African American young boy has to you know his parents has to teach him this is how you interact with police yes. officers this is how you this is how you handle yourself when you're in a quote unquote white neighborhood this is this is how you talk to the police if you see a cop pull out a gun I mean those things that you know, uh, black kids have to learn and have to deal with. It's, it's not the same, like you said, but I wanted to go to um, former Mayor Giuliani's uh, statements today, or not today, rather, but, uh, you know, what he said. And uh, the fact that, you know, saying, basically bringing the disparity, saying, hey, you know, uh, the Black Lives Matter, that's a racist, you, you know, it's a racist group. 
Uh, they're talking about issues that really aren't uh, true. And, you know, Mayor Giuliani, for those who may not know, you know, he, he can take credit a lot for the stop and frisk in, in uh, New York. Yes. Um, where racial profiling started at uh, from, from that perspective. But how does his statements and his action, uh, what is your thoughts on that as far as, you know, where are we trying to go to take this this law enforcement community issue forward? How much do statements like that from elected officials push us back to the uh, to the Stone Age as far as those transactions? Well, first of all, I listened to Giuliani over the last couple of days as, as he espoused his theory about policing and basically blamed African-Americans for all the problems that exist uh, with policing and the interactions that they have with police. I think elected or former elected officials like Giuliani, when they engage in that kind of uh, rhetoric, it just widens the divide. It it further polarizes sides. It causes uh, people to start believing that what he is saying has some truth when, in fact, it has no truth. And the simplest way to think about this and what he fails to recognize in his inflammatory statements is a murder, and he always goes to black-on-black crime. He always likes to throw up that African-Americans are are so outraged about what he calls the few people killed by police, they need to be more concerned about black-on-black crime. The reality is when a, a civilian kills a civilian, that cannot be placed on the same level as someone with the power of authority of the police killing a civilian. They never are going to be equal. The power that you with a badge in blue have is always going to be different than that which I, uh, someone who doesn't operate under that power of authority. So he, he conflates these issues, and they're separate. And African-Americans, and it makes me really angry because they suggest that we, and you all saw that interview I had with Professor Carol Swain, they like to suggest that we in our community don't care about black-on-black crime. And folks will say, well, you all aren't marching, you aren't – and that's just categorically false. You can't care about your community and not care about all crime. Red on black, black on black, brown on black, we want safe communities, period. And we are up in arms, and we do march, and we do protest, and we do ask for assistance. When we're working on jobs programs and after-school programs and anti-gang programs, that's all about addressing black-on-black crime. So we should check anybody that tries to to, to advance that false narrative. Because I I can't think of a community around this country that doesn't have a, a program designed to get kids at young ages and ensure that they don't get involved in crime. That's addressing black-on-black crime. That has nothing to do with the constitutional rights that you and I and anyone of color has to not have those rights deprived in an encounter with the police or for police to use excessive force. They're completely different. And and we just need to be really clear about that and and push back when people say blacks aren't concerned about black-on-black crime. Yeah, there's a difference in being concerned about crime that, you know, criminals are on the street and some people are criminals. But when you have law enforcement who's there to protect and serve, that's a whole nother issue. We have a caller on who uh, has a comment about the elected officials. We have Don from Atlanta. Don, you're uh, live. Go ahead with your comment. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, hello. Informative conversation tonight. I, I really enjoy it on Block Talk. This is a refreshing show. Um, yeah, what I wanted to say was, you know, the the, uh, the um, 
your guest was spot on, you know. We have to vote our wallet, meaning that as blacks in America, you know, we've always been treated differently. We've always been discriminated against. We're 150 years up from slavery, 50 years up from Jim Crow, and we're still fighting the same fight. Mm-hmm. You and I fight the fight that our parents fought and their parents fought and every generation before them. And what we have to do now is set a standard and just be mature about this. Uh, it, it, this pattern is not going to change. We can march. We can cry. We can shout from the highest mountain. The pattern will not change because they are entrenched in this pattern. But we have to vote our wallet, meaning all of us pay taxes. We don't get a discount because we're black or poor or deprived. We pay taxes. So when an officer kills an unarmed civilian, an American citizen, he does it with our permission and our tax dollars if we allow him. If we allow that DA not to prosecute him and reelect them in the office, we've given them our permission. And when the judge has a bench trial and he does everything and do somersaults, to let that officer go free, we did. He did it with our permission because our top tax dollars pay everybody. So we have to be vigilant as a community and set a standard that when you harm one of us or harm any citizen, because I stand from a point of a citizen of these United States who paid a right. My rights were paid with blood to be here, and my tax dollars has to stand for something. So. I'm not paying taxes to be treated second class, and that was my comment. He raises an excellent point. Like I said earlier, I'm from the St. Louis, Missouri area and lived five minutes from Ferguson, and I was just, I can't tell you how upset I was after all the protests over that district attorney, Robert McCullen. He got reelected in the midst of the Mike Brown shooting in the midst of the protest. And somehow, and that's our, I don't know how old everyone on this call is, but let's assume everybody's over 30. We have an obligation to get the generation of folks when they turn 18, even before they turn 18, to understand, again, these things are mutually exclusive. You can protest. You can peacefully protest. You can engage in that kind of civic activity that's not mutually exclusive from voting. And I get so upset when young people say, oh, no, I ain't voting. That ain't for me. Well, what do you mean? Because a no, when you don't vote, you are voting. So anybody that doesn't go to the polls and vote, you're voting for Donald Trump. You're voting for whomever is on that because your no vote does register. And I think we have an obligation in our generation who are closer to those civil rights leaders who put their lives on the line who died so that we would have the right to vote. We have to bring this millennial generation along so that they don't just wholesale give up on the prospect of voting, because if they do that, we're going to lose uh, on a lot of these uh, critical, critical issues. And, you know, the feds can't investigate every time there's an African-American shot. That's, that's just not the role. Their role is to look at if there's been a deprivation of rights. But now you notice in all of these cases, there's an immediate call for a federal investigation. So we got to advocate. What happens to the responsibility of those folks that were elected at the local level? I don't want to let them off the hook. They have a job to do. They know if 
someone has is involved in a justifiable shooting. These people are professionals. They're hired to make those calls. That's why, you know, we have to give the district attorney in Baltimore. They haven't gotten any convictions in those cases she filed, but she took a step to say, I'm going to hold officers accountable. Now, well, whether any of them go to jail or not, that's the first step. Is in no, absolutely. no, absolutely. And I think a lot of people, I think Walter Scott's mother made the statement uh, at the time uh, Anderson Cooper had interviewed her. And he asked her, are you happy with the fact that this this officer has been charged? Her words were, we'll see. (laughs) And uh, because a charge doesn't mean anything uh, because it doesn't mean a conviction. Now, again, I think that the fact that the district attorney there in Baltimore took it upon herself when it wasn't popular to do it, uh, she took a step to actually do that. And I think we have to hopefully believe, and I think, uh, Ariva, that's what we're saying that when an officer gets charged, the African-American community doesn't jump up and down because it's like, well, we've seen this dance. We've seen this, heard this song and done this dance before. Will something come out of it? And we're hopeful. And I think you make a good point in the call. Thank you for your call. Uh, I think both points are made. You have to vote down to the lowest local office that you have to the presidency of the United States because somewhere – People are influenced with that, or even I think that that's very, 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 a very good point uh, that we need to focus on. Well, now, Reva, I know you're limited on time tonight. Is that correct? Uh, no, I can hang with you a little, a uh, bit longer. This is an interesting conversation. It's something that I'm glad to see you all in Colorado are having, and your listeners all over the country are, are, are weighing in on. And I just want to share something else. I was on a show yesterday morning with a very well-respected psychologist, a white woman who has biracial kids. She's a friend of mine, and we've done a lot of work together on television, so I I know her heart's in the right place. But she made the statement that when she was explaining to her younger teenage kids about what was going on in the country with the shootings, she didn't use the race of the individuals. She talked about their other characteristics, the fact that somebody was a man and what city they were from. And I had to respectfully disagree with that approach because I I said, look, when I talk to my kids, we have to talk about race because if you don't talk about race, you're missing the historical narrative. You're missing the the history that has brought us to this point. And if you don't understand the, the, the point the caller made about slavery and Jim Crow and what the fight was for civil rights and, and how African-Americans have not been treated equally, you don't then understand what the outrage and frustration is about. And blacks, we can't carry the whole burden of the race conversation. That's an American conversation. So we can't be the only ones talking about the history. We need white people. We need Latinos. We need Asians. We need everyone acknowledging why it is when we say black lives matter, we're not dissing anyone else. We're not discounting the value of all lives. We're simply saying to be African-American carries with it some baggage that you, European person, don't have. That's, that's simply what that statement you know, means, and people have tried to twist it to say it's a racist statement and it's an anti-cop statement and it's a, you know, a hate-filled statement, and it's none of that. It's an acknowledgment that African-Americans are disproportionately impacted in a negative way from the stops by police to the arrests by police to the convictions 
in, in criminal proceedings to the length of, of jail time to even the death penalty. We can't, that's wow. undeniable. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. undeniable. No, absolutely. And Ariba, uh, Cliff alluded to uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, his statement in regards to kids being the problem. It's not the police. I want you to hear this insanity. I want to get your thoughts. Let's hear what Giuliani has to say. The, the reality is we have to look differently at race in America if we're going to change this. Whites have to realize that African-American men have a fear, and boys have a fear of being confronted by the police because of some of these incidents. Some people may consider it rational. Some people may consider it irrational, but it's a reality. It, it exists. On the black side, you've got to teach your children to be respectful to the police, and you've got to teach your children, that the real danger to them is not the police. The real danger to them, 99 out of 100 times, 9,900 out of 1,000 times, are other black kids who are going to kill them. That's the way they're going to die. And when, and when you say black lives matter, that's inherently racist. That's anti-American, and it's racist. Well, of course black lives matter, and they matter greatly. But when you focus in on 1% of less than 1% of the murder that's going on in America... You create a disproportion. The right. police understand it, and it puts a target on their back. Every cop in America will tell you that if you ask them. Well, I'll tell you this. <laughs> you know, I, I, and Ariva, let me ask you this question because I'm, I'm sitting here like you have got to be kidding me. How do you, as a non-African-American advise african-american parents what to teach their children and to tell them don't worry about the cops because the likelihood your your best friend next door is probably going to kill you ariva your thoughts on that type of statement so inflammatory that statement was so inflammatory and so offensive it's really hard to respond to it's it's unbelievable that he would suggest african-americans First of all, that we don't have enough common sense to teach our kids respect for everybody. Right. I don't know a black mother and father that doesn't raise their kids to respect every adult in their environment, and that definitely includes police. And he said that the statement suggests that we're out there telling our kids disrespect the police, and that, that shows his ignorance and lack of understanding that, to the contrary, we're telling our kids you have to be Uber respectful of police. That's right. You, you can't look up. You, you have to look them in the eye. You, you got to put your hands where they can see them. Don't make any quick moves. Don't talk back. Say yes, sir. No, sir. Say yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, you know, do everything they tell you to do. So we're doing the we're, we're doing more than he can even imagine that we're doing, and that still doesn't change the reality of how police see African Americans, and, and he doesn't want to deal with that. So while he's busy telling us how we should be treating the cops, you notice in that statement, he never once says, and police should not see African-Americans as stereotypes. They should not see them as the negative images that they may see portrayed in in movies or on television. They need to see them as humans. They need to treat them in the same way as they treat every other citizen. They shouldn't over-police them. They shouldn't stop them, you know, for insignificant, non-existent traffic violations. So, I mean, he didn't go 
if you're going to tell the story, tell the whole story. Absolutely. And he and didn't I, do that. No, he didn't. And, uh, Reba, I'll tell you what. Uh, Mr. Castile in Minnesota, uh, the gentleman that was killed in the car with the right, Philando, Castile. Philando Castile. Now, here's what's tragic, and we're going to hear the president's thoughts on this because he made it clear today. He complied completely. He even went out of his way to tell the officer, I have a carry permit. It's an open carry state. I have a gun. I have a permit. So he's being forthcoming with the officer. Totally. And, and you know what's interesting? His mother said, I heard a statement that his mom, even before he was in the car with the girlfriend, he, the mother and the sister and, and Philando were having a conversation about their gun, and the mother was admonishing them, remember, if you are out there with the police, you need to make sure they know you have a, a permit. And the, the sister said something like, I'm going to stop carrying my gun because I know the cops are going to shoot first and ask wow. questions later. So wow. she was rehearsing with her children the talk. And this is a 30-something-year-old man, so this isn't a kid. Sure. But even at, the, at 30-something years old, the mother felt the need to reinforce the talk. Uh-oh. Wow. To make sure he understood what the unspoken rules are for African-Americans in dealing with police. And even then, right. he meets his tragic demise. Absolutely. And, Ariva, we got, uh, uh, we're getting ready to bring Pastor Rose Banks. She's joining us tonight with her perspective on uh, what's going on. And, uh, Pastor Banks, you're with us. Go ahead, please. Yes, I, I so agree with Reba that a lot of the things that she's been saying tonight. And I was thinking when you were, when you uh, played the played the um uh, played the tape from, from Giuliani, you know what? She doesn't even know what we're doing now. Now, the average black parent in this country is telling their kids, you don't need to, you don't need to in any way uh, teach us how to teach our kids. It's people like him is the reason that we're going through the issues that we're going through right now. Because he has put, he more or less want us to uh, to label all black young black men and our children as 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 these bad people, and they're gonna kill each other anyway. That's not true. But what really got to me was the fact that you're making these type of statements at a time like this. This is like somebody adding coal to the fire. If you can't say some Giuliani that's gonna make a difference. And to help us to come together as a as a country, why are you bother to say anything at all? Because you're not helping the case. You're you're surely not a part of of of, of us being able to resolve the issue. You're the, you are the problem. And people like him, who comes on uh, and and put these statements out there. Well, people actually believe this garbage, that we're not teaching our, our kids to comply. We have, we have all taught our kids how to respect, for the most part, uh, law enforcement. But as I was coming up as a girl, we, as, as Reba was saying, we had to respect all adults, not just the police officer. That was instilled in us if, 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 if it's your Sunday school teacher, if it's your, if it's your teacher in school, whoever is an adult has to be respected, which would include police officers. So with him getting on there trying to make it look like we're the bad people, just deal with you and your own issues, 
It's big mouth people just like Giuliani that is causing a rift, a rift going around right now. And 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 what I what I'm looking at is that. Um, uh, for the most part, this big white elephant that we're dealing with today has been sitting in the middle of the room for umpteen years. And we have walked around it. I mean, society as a whole don't like to deal with anything pertaining to race. So if it, if it looks like it's going to even go toward race, they want to just disregard that. Well, that elephant sitting in the middle of the room is getting bigger and bigger while you're walking around it and telling yourself, that that's really not me and, and you know, that's not the way I am. We never want to have an open dialogue with each other about who we are. And so you can see who I am. I can see who you are. We don't have to live that way. But for some reason, that big white elephant has been there for years. And without any knowledge, he is getting stronger. And then when he finally attacks, we say, what's going on? What's going on is the thing that you never wanted to deal with. And I am convinced the thing that you let just sit there and sit there and fester at some point, it's going to raise its ugly head as it is. It did it in the civil rights era. It's doing it in our time. So we don't deal with it enough. We don't even want the word. I understand when they say, well, don't use the N-word. Well, using the N-word is not the problem. That was a slavery name, true enough, but I want to understand that not using of the N-word does not fix this problem. We've got to understand what we're dealing with. And so they said, well, what's wrong? The big elephant that you never talked about. Let's sit down as people talk about it, but we can't spend our whole life talking. We've got to put it in action that we've got to work with each other. We've got to, got to respect each other, be it black, white, red, yellow, whatever, and if we don't respect each other, a lack of respect always brings this. And just one more point, because I don't want to take up, I, I should have like listened to Reva on, on this situation and some of the other callers, but, but I thought too, even in your own home raising your children, if you as a parent don't discipline every child for doing wrong, or you just uh, do it for one of them, at some point you're going to find that other sibling behind your back, feeling like they need to pay you back for what you did to them because mama don't ever do anything to you. The same thing that's happened with police officers is that we know we got great great police officers. That goes without saying. But the few bad that's in there, if you don't discipline those, if you don't correct them, if they're not taken to a court of law and have a trial and say that they're guilty, that's what creates this anger. I think people saying, if I know you're going to go, go to court and, with, and, you're going, and you're going to get a trial, that they're going to find that you are guilty and you're going to go to prison like I would go to prison. I think the greatest outcry is that people are getting, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And that's a bad thing to have out there. We need them to say, don't tell us about the, about the video you only see a part of it. When I saw that man on New York, in, in New York City saying, I can't breathe, and you're on his neck, what else do I need to see of that video? I know the other ones are holding him down. He's telling you he can't breathe. You tell me what other explanation that you can give me that you can murder a man, a black man, on the street. 
of New York, crying, saying, I can't breathe, and you didn't care that he, that, that he could not breathe. So that type of thing that we see, it sparks anger in people. You know why? Not because that's not the only one. We're seeing this too often. And the more we see it, the more people get upset about it. If they knew the justice system was going was to take care of this, they wouldn't feel the need to take it into their own hands. That's where some of our problem lies. Well, they're not going to do anything after they kill them. They're going to let them go free, and they're going to say they're innocent. They're going to say they're not guilty. Well, somebody better stand up, but you can't stand up wrong. you got to stand up right. And I'll, I'm going to sign off so I can hear some more from Reva, because me and Reva from the same hometown. I'm from St. Louis, too. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Reva, your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Yeah, thank you. Let me just add something. I, 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 one of the things that's happening to this conversation, too, is, uh, you know, I, I use this word the way people are conflating the issues. We should be clear that the shooter who killed those five cops, those officers in Dallas, he was not a part of any socially conscious, social justice, social activist movement. He definitely was not a part of Black Lives Matter. He was not a part of the organizers who planned that peaceful protest in Dallas. We should note that the police were taking selfies, walking with the protesters, and and as has been their habit of joining in with the protesters. There have been police officers on TV for the last week who talked about bad officers in their departments and acknowledging that some police departments have issues. So that shooter should not be associated with the protesters who are out working on this issue of social justice. And for politicians and others to say that there's a target on police back because people are raising the issue of constitutional policing is really trying to, they're, they're really trying to change the narrative. They're trying to deflect from the real issues of the injustices that we've been talking about. Uh, Black Lives Matter, none of the local social justice groups that I know of, no one is espousing. Now, can we, uh, you know, killing police, can we control every individual that wants to use that, bad, that uh, use that language, use that phrase? No. Will there be some people on the outskirts, on the peripheral, that will take advantage and, and try to blemish the good work of these protest groups, absolutely. But that should not in any way take away from, and I said it on on CNN Saturday morning, the protests to me have been one of the most effective ways that we've seen some of the changes. Body cameras now being given to police officers. Like I said, police departments stepping up and giving us the names of officers. Police departments stepping up and calling for independent investigators. None of that was happening pre- Michael Brown shooting pre the protest in Ferguson. So those protests have had an incredibly positive impact. And they have not linked any of these police shootings, whether in New York or Dallas, to any of the protesters that have been working on the issue of social justice. That's right. That's definitely. And thanks for clearing that up. uh, That point needs to be made out there, because otherwise, you know, the officers say we, we don't want to be painted with a broad brush. Well, don't paint these movements. Don't paint Black Lives Matter and the people that are making change and implementing this change and pushing for change with a broad brush. Let's be fair. 
goes back to what we're saying, that double standard. If you're asking for that respect, and it goes back, honestly, to the golden rule I was told in second grade. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. We had to recite that every day in second grade and on up through yeah. through school. So uh, th- those are critical points. Dennis, you had a question for real? Yeah, I didn't really have a question. I just have a comment in reference to uh, what you're, you're, you're talking about, Ariva. I truly appreciate your comments. I mean, they're great. Uh, we're, we're learning a lot from this discussion. But you, you hear constantly that, you know, uh, as a black American, we, we, we have to teach our children how to act uh, around the police officers and, and how to carry themselves and how to be very courteous. And, and, and I think that's all good, how to comply. But I think the problem is, I think what we're dealing with is that we're complying. We are teaching our children that. But we're still seeing these, these brutal acts. I, 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 I have to say it, murder. And again, I'm not, I'm not putting every police officer under this umbrella. But those that take innocent you know, civilian lives, you know, not even giving one an opportunity to comply, I mean, how do we fix that? I mean, to me, that's, that's the, one of our biggest issues. Because I don't know you or I don't understand your culture, I'm going to come up with my own way of dealing with you. I think this the ignorance. It's, it's, it's black not knowing white and white not knowing black. Again, we, we, we need to get to know each other before we can go in and call ourselves policing each other. Do you understand where I'm going? Oh, I think that's an excellent point, and I think in this effort to work through some of these issues, we have to be willing to listen, as you just said so eloquently, and we've got to be willing to compromise. I mean, if we go into the conversation and I come into the conversation and I'm going to leave with the same mindset and the same beliefs and and hold firm, to my position, then we're not going to move the needle on this. I'm going to have to give some. I'm going to have to understand these officers that feel like they're being targeted, and they're going to have to understand African Americans who feel like they aren't safe in any community. So this is going to require, and this is the hard work, and this is where I see, you know, I have these conversations on TV, CNN, MSNBC all the time, and what I see is we'll take the conversation so far after one of these shootings We'll spend a week on it. We may even spend two weeks. And then we, you know, the news cycles are quick. So something else hits the news, and we're on to the next news item, newsworthy or deemed newsworthy item. And when we come back to this, and inevitably, like I said, over the last couple years, we keep coming back to it, we keep starting over. Because we get right up to that point of the breakthrough, and it gets tough because the breakthrough is hard, and we abandon it. Because the breakthrough is going to be painful because that means a lot of the things that I believe about you or me, I've got to give that up. So it's going to require that. So Giuliani's going to be a part of the conversation. He's got to give up this fallacy, this false belief that he has that African-American parents are somehow not teaching their kids to be respectful. And that means I may have to give up my position that cops, have no right to feel targeted. <clears throat> if they tell me they feel targeted, I got to accept that. I got to accept it. So that's how we have to have. And see, I ugh, tough, <laughs> tough. 
tough. It is. It is. It's very tough. I mean, that's a tough situation, yeah. Ariba. And again, this this goes to the uh, the double standard that we deal with uh, in this country, and we have to fix it. That conversation again uh, is being done now, and again, it goes beyond discussion. Like you said, this needs to stay on point uh, because it is an issue. That the only way, is, as Dennis alluded to, we're going to get past that is through discussion and action. Following up, you know, that we wait and we kind of die it out and it dies down, then we get another shooting. Oh, good. We need to talk. Well, it's time to do something. And I think what you're saying, Ariba, yeah. is, is perfectly, uh, uh, perfectly makes sense. Uh, I'll tell you what, Ariba, we, uh, we have another guest that's going to join us. If we need to let you go out of respect for your time, we can do that or you can hang. What do you want yeah, to Yeah, no, I'm good. I think I, I don't want to, you know, I think we we have uh, had a really good discussion. I appreciate you guys inviting me on. I'll stay in touch with you, and let's keep having this discussion, because even if the national news isn't having it, there's no reason why those of us that care about it can't continue it. Thank you, guys, and keep doing the great work that you're doing. And same to you, Ariba. We're going to be in touch with you offline about some opportunities. Again, working together bridging that gap we're definitely going to get involved so we appreciate you so much uh for taking some time and you'll definitely be hearing from us shortly okay all right thanks guys have a good one all right you take too, care Bye-bye. ladies and gentlemen thank you so much we appreciate you ladies and gentlemen on the other side of this break cheryl dorsey is joining us uh former la police officer i'll tell you what this woman has a lot to say we're going to hear her thoughts in a moment we'll be right back What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Kevin Sage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911, the police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers. But that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket. Selling cigarettes outside of a corner store. Walking home with a friend. Missing a front license plate. Riding a commuter train. Holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in Virginia calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for, and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm, and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. 
All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If you would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black-on-black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America, as tonight we deal with the double standard, the racism, the... Folks, take your pick. It's all over the place right now in this country. As we have seen violence, we have seen unexplainable death, uh, bottom line, murder, uh, not only to the Dallas police officers, but to uh, Mr. Sterling, Mr. Castile, in both of those cities. And the nation is in an uproar about an issue that has been plaguing us for quite some time now. Uh, so we're going to deal with those issues and uh, continue the discussion uh, right now uh, in regards to racism. Uh, we're going to address those issues. And Cheryl uh, Dorsey, are you with us? Yes, sir. I'm here. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, thank you for taking time. And uh, you've been very busy, as uh, we've seen on the networks. And uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight to get into this discussion as we deal with the double standard of this race issue in America. And I, I'm just waiting to hear your thoughts. And uh, Cheryl, talk to the people. Well, you know, we, we heard uh, the president say today that we need to not pretend that this is not existing. We know that there's a problem on, on police departments on a national level, and we know that the treatment is disparate. And so let's call it what it is, and then let's be about the business of fixing it. We have example after example of how white police officers treat armed and unarmed uh, confrontational uh, suspects, if you will, and then when you contrast that with how they treat black suspects, armed and unarmed, it's quite different. You know, I, I wrote a blog, and I, someone posted it on social media again today and reminded me that two years ago Eric Freen was being chased and pursued by police officers, and he's a white man who uh, had killed uh, someone and had an extensive manhunt, much like the one they did for Christopher Dorner in 2013. 
And uh, Mr. Freen was leaving AK-47s along the way as he camped out and would get up the next morning and continue on his way, and, and they were picking him up like breadcrumbs. And guess what? At the end of the eight- or nine-day pursuit of this man, they took him into custody with, quote, air quote, out an incident. The man had a scratch on his nose. How does that happen? Wow. Absolutely. And, you know, Cheryl, that brings up the same point. I mean, we we dealt with it uh, last week when um, when all of these things, you know, on Thursday when the shootings in Dallas happened. But we dealt with the fact that, I mean, you, we're here in Colorado. You have the Aurora Theater shooting who did what he did and then was appreh- apprehended by police officers standing out in the parking lot reloading. You also uh, you have the Planned Parenthood shooter that was here in Colorado that, you know, and and. Just so everybody is clear, I, I have a serious problem with uh, the police officers that were killed in Dallas. I do not condone murder. I do not condone anyone going on a spree because they have an issue with uh, with what's going on. But with the Planned Parenthood killer, they did not send, and I understand that the Dallas police chief, he had to do what he had to do, but they did not send a robot with a bomb to get that man. We see time and time again. Right. That, uh, you know, uh, white mass murders or whatever you're going to call them, it, it is the, 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 per, the perception is that they're treated differently than a, uh, than a black assailant. And even sometimes, I mean, uh, even when you have the black victims that you have, like the Aurora Theater shooter, he, it was said uh, in the media that, oh, he was, a, he was a brilliant guy, just, you know, had some psychiatric problems. And then when you have a victim such as Michael Brown at about that same time frame, they talked about his encounters with the police. They talked about fights that he had gotten in. They talked about all these negative things to, to paint a picture. A double standard. Yeah, it, it's a double standard. And and the the thing I think that gets me the most is that uh, the people who like Giuliani that say you know it's a Black Lives Matter is a racist group that they want to just skip over that and want us as black people and I mean I'm a black man. To just accept the fact that, uh, you know, or the thought that there is no inequality when it comes to law enforcement and the black community. And, and I cannot uh, accept that. And that is the part that gets me the most is that uh, so many people want it just to just accept it, basically saying, just be quiet, go go about your business. Let us do what we have to do and just deal with the inequalities that's going on that I cannot I cannot uh, stay quiet about. Well, you know, I, I have the same angst because I, I certainly get it. You know, I, I have I call them the Twitter mites who come after me when I speak the way that I do on CNN and, and uh, HLN TV um, because, you know, the moment we complain about this maltreatment, all of a sudden I'm a race baiter and I'm racist because right. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to second guess that uh, police chief in Dallas, but you, we know that that was unprecedented to use uh, a robot to send in a bomb to kill someone. And, you know, I have a term that I use all the time, contempt of cop. And so I'm just kind of saying, for me, this feels like contempt of chief because he talked about this uh, young man, Micah Johnson, taunting them. And I get it. Tensions were high, and uh, they had lost uh, a couple of officers they knew of, and several more were in the hospital fighting for their lives. And so Micah Johnson did himself no favors by singing and taunting them and uh, being most uncooperative in the heat of the moment. And so it just felt like, you know, at that point, if they were willing to work a deal with him, all bets were off when he started 
performing the way that he was performing. And so where do we draw the line? You know, if you go to a radio call of a family dispute and the husband is barricaded inside and he gets a little uh, beside himself, do we stop after two hours because he's angered us and we want to send in a bomb? It's just very disconcerting. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I believe we got Pastor Banks uh, joining us here. She has another comment, Cheryl. Pastor Banks, go ahead. Yeah, um, Cheryl, I was I was thinking as you were talking, uh, and Cliff was on there just a few minutes ago talking about how they more or less talked the white guy out of it instead of, bringing, instead of killing him because that stuff happened here in Colorado. But you know what? Some years back, Giuliani's daughter was caught uh, shoplifting, and this has been a while back. And she was taken in, and when they took her in, they found out that she was Giuliani's daughter. They released her immediately. But if there had been a black person that was caught shoplifting, you wouldn't have got released. And I think those are the things that's stirring this anger in people. We want to say if somebody gets angry about something, something had to happen because for every action there's a reaction. And so what happened that suddenly, you know, people start responding in the wrong way, just like, when you see a situation like that, maybe it was my son later who was shoplifting, and my son hasn't done it, but I just used that for an example. And then he gets, he goes in, he's got to go to trial and may get some prison time. But his daughter, so he doesn't really know what we feel. He has no idea. He's, he's talking way, way out somewhere. He's not, he's not in touch with the African-American people because I'm sure he was glad that his daughter was released. And what and, and did have to go to trial for it. So if we could, if we could be treated uh, the same, not that sh- not that anybody sh- everybody should be punished when they do wrong, but uh, at least let us do it across the board and not just a special thing over here and a special over here. Let us treat everybody the same. I think this uh, the balances of justice. It, I mean the scale is way off balance, and as a result of that, that's what's stirring all this stuff that we see now. And, and like I said, we got great policemen in, in this country. Anybody who says that we don't is, is not is not in touch with reality. It's true that we have that, but we're talking about the bad apples, not the good ones. Absolutely. Right. Girl? You know, we we understand that that there's a difference in the way we're treated on every level, and it's it's just very frustrating when a white person, for me tries to debate with me about my lived experiences. If, yes. if if you are not in this skin that I'm in, for me, you're not yeah. even really qualified to have that conversation with me because you don't have a clue what it's like. And then when we look at what happened in Baton Rouge with uh, Alton Sterling, you know, it, 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 it didn't seem anything other than punishment for someone who was not obeying an, order, an officer's directive. We see and hear him on that audio uh, threatening and using his gun as an intimidation tool when he pulls it out of his holster and points it at his chest and tells him, if you don't quit effing moving, I'll kill you. And that's exactly what he did. You know, officers are not trained that way. So they need to stop trying to make us think that there was something that happened 10 seconds, 15 seconds, a, a minute prior that would justify Baton Rouge. Certainly there's no justification for of Philando Castillo, and until there's a consequence 
for the bad choices that these officers are making, we're going to continue, I'm afraid, to see young people who may have some issues already and not have the coping skills to deal with their frustrations act out much like we saw in Dallas. My hope and prayer is it doesn't, but I'm not convinced that others are not going to respond similarly. That's true. That's true. Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, and, and, and Pastor Banks and, and Cheryl points, Cliff, are, are clearly made. The, the distinction of what is happening, we talk about the double standard, and you made a point, Cliff, earlier that perception is, 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 might, might as well be reality. Yeah. If I perceive you to be this way, it is reality in your world. Therefore, you have a major problem. And you say, well, that's not what I meant, but your per- the perception. And I think a good point is, is that at the end of the day, the racist folks that are out there that want to stop uh, African Americans or want to kill African Americans or do whatever they do, uh, we, have a, we have a serious race problem. And until we speak that bottom line truth, we will never be able to heal. The wounds will never be healed. Until we have that discussion, Cliff. Exactly, and you know, I was thinking about what uh, Pastor Banks was saying about Giuliani's daughter. Now she gets caught shoplifting. Now, if if it came down to his daughter ended up getting shot while she was shoplifting, uh, he would have had a serious problem with that, and would assure every officer that was involved, um, you know, would have would have paid more than uh, the penalty that they should have for that. But that is not the reality that he lives in. You know, last week. We, uh, we also did some comparisons against uh, white people that are committing crime and how the police deal with them. We had one individual. It, it, both of these people, this happened in, in, in Walmart, two different Walmart stores, but uh, the, same franchise, the same store nonetheless. So you had uh, a white man walking around in Walmart, goes, gets a BB gun. He's shooting at people in the store, uh, telling people, hey, you want to join my shooting? And he was, he was intoxicated. The police come, basically talk him down, sir. You know, you need to put that down. Uh, we need, we're going to go walk out. Uh, he continues on his little rant. They do end up, you know, taking him to detox. Another situation happens in Walmart where a black man takes a BB gun. He's walking through the store. He's going to buy it. A 911 call comes in. And when you look at the words of the call, hey, we got a black man. He's six feet tall. He's walking around with a gun. Uh, people feel threatened. Police came into Walmart, shot him dead in the store with nothing going on. How is that not that there is there is an inequality in law enforcement? And then why should I, as a black man, not feel that when I look at those two things and, and other examples as well, that there is not something wrong with the way that policing is done in America? And why would anybody want to try to tell me that, like Cheryl said, my experience – uh, that, hey, I, I'm probably going to get shot well, when a cop comes up well, to me. Well, Cliff, to that point, and sure, I'm going to let you uh, chime in on this. To that point, tomorrow ice, a 12-year-old a with a toy a gun, a toy gun, and the 911 caller, Cliff, as is, is we discussed, made it clear that the child had what may have been a toy gun. You get out of your car. You're not negotiating with him. We had the, the gentleman pointing a gun in a park at children and police officers. They took the time to use their minutes, and they called him on his cell phone and negotiated with him for 15 minutes. And as he was pointing. as he was pointing a gun at officers, but you're pulling a gun out of the pocket of uh, Mr. Sterling after you have put four slugs 
through his chest, point blank range. Cheryl, please give me your thoughts on that one. You know, here, here's the thing. I, I think these officers in, in these, and, and this is a minority, so let me say that, but I, I think that they are just not able to relate to the minority community. And, you know, some of that should probably be picked up in their psychological evaluations when they're first hired because we can't seem to figure out how to get people reevaluated. If you need to do it every year, every two years, something needs to be done to make sure these people's heads are on right because when we hear the officer that shot Philando, I mean, he was hysterical after the shooting. And he knew, I think, in an instant that he had messed up and was trying to convince the woman that was uh, live streaming it that, you know, somehow this was appropriate. But look, if you are a police officer and you pull up on a car and we're trained to be cognizant of our background should we get involved in a deadly force situation, what, what's, what's in front of us, what is our barrel facing, what would make you think that it's even a little bit okay to fire into a vehicle with a four-year-old little girl? That officer didn't look in the back seat and see that baby and think that could have been my little my daughter, my little sister. He didn't give that little girl a second thought. He couldn't relate. And I think this is what happens time and time again. You, they don't look at us and say, that, that could be my grandmother. That's an older woman I'm dealing with. Let me deal with her in a way that is commensurate with her age. Right? They just treat us all like we're animals because that's how they seem to see us. It's hot because it, after I do this a couple of times, it don't feel hot. No, that's absolutely uh, true, Cheryl. And I'll tell you, uh, these are things that we have to pay attention to as a society. And until we do that, I'll tell you what, the news cycle continues. And, and Cheryl, I think you bring a very unique perspective. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, uh, Cheryl Dorsey, uh, former L.A. police officer. Uh, she's sergeant. T- sergeant. And let's take that a little higher. My apologies on that, Cheryl. So uh, Cheryl Dorsey was a sergeant for the L.A. Police Department. Uh, she was over uh, officers. And, and I'm telling you, Cheryl, your perspective is clear. This is not something you're talking off the top of your head. You have seen it. Uh, and you don't hesitate to tell the truth no matter what. You saw different things within a department. We talked about this, Cheryl, before. The culture. How difficult is it to shift culture from a establishment or an institution uh, whether it's police or sheriff or whatever you call it when the culture begins to take root in a institution Cheryl, and i'll ask you this question how do we change that because well, it's, a it's systemic and, and it's gonna it's probably gonna take a, a, a generation to because listen this is this permeates the entire organism so it's not like you can just pluck out one little cancerous cell and now all of a sudden the body is good when you've got those cancers in various parts of the body it's impossible to not have other parts then become affected and so you know it's screening and that's why evaluations need to be right now real time let's see who's on our department and where their head is you know i've I've been making this analogy, and I, I think it's, of course, I think everything I say is amazing, but <laughs> I, I like to make this analogy because if I were a chef in a five-star restaurant and I was cooking meals every evening and serving them to the patrons, and aesthetically my dishes were beautiful, but at the end of the evening people were going home sick and in some cases dying, would you not get me out of the kitchen? 
you wouldn't make excuses for me. You wouldn't say that, you know, maybe I used too much seasoning. You'd get me out of that kitchen. So why do we allow police officers who are jaded, who are ill-suited, who are mentally unstable to continue to remain on police departments or give them the gift of resignation, let them resign when we catch them, and then allow them to now go to another police department like Tim Lohman did before he came to Cleveland. He had been on another police department. Six months later, he's hired by Cleveland, kills Tamir Rice like Eric Casebolt did in McKinney, Texas, when he drugged that young lady around. Uh, 14-year-old girl at the pool party. McKinney, Texas was his third police department. Police officers don't move around like that unless there's something wrong. There's a red flag. They should get one bite at the apple. If you're proven to be ill-suited, you're done. I I, I totally agree. You have to uh, remove the problem. And, you know, until a police department makes a statement on that level that we're not going to tolerate it, and the fact is that you got transferred after transfer. That's like getting, you know, you're in high school. You're getting kicked out of every school and, and expelled. But man, which school? This is my fifth school. What's the problem? You, you, you got to look into what's going on, man. You don't, you don't get along with others. And and you know, uh, Cheryl, uh, thinking you know of where you did your police work in uh, in L.A. and you were part of that crash unit. I'm uh, <laughs> growing up there in L.A. I'm pretty familiar with the uh, community resources against street hoodlums <laughs> police uh, suite. They call that the you know the gang task force. But even even in that, there even you know growing up in L.A. There were times, and you know yeah, I, I tell everybody you know I didn't I didn't grow up uh, you know I wasn't always a good guy. I, I had my run-ins with the law. Then I've had police in L.A. would draw down on me and say, hey, you know, uh, big guy. Uh, turn around and, and you know I'm for those who may not know I'm six five I weigh about two thirty five two forty and uh, so you know some people see me as a threat now you know I'm a, I'm a nice guy but back then you know I've had Pete police that would draw them like turn around I want you to see I have my gun draw me try something and uh, it's gonna it's not gonna be we're not fighting it's gonna be you against my nine millimeter. But even with that, even with the streets of L.A., and Cheryl, you know how dangerous they were back in the 80s and 90s, where, uh, you know, cops were afraid for their lives. We used to say, well, hey, the cops are rolling six deep because uh, somebody might take some pop shots at them. But you still didn't see the the things, and, and I know that, you know, video is here now and, and cell phones, but it just seemed like it was not the way it is now. I never heard of a, a 12-year-old kid getting shot. And, and I, I got stopped myself running around the streets with a BB gun and, and, uh, when I was in California. But I never thought that, oh, if I'm running around with my BB gun, a cop's going to shoot me, especially as a 12-year-old kid. That that uh, Tamir Rice issue really, really gets to me because it, this is a baby who lost his life because yeah. a cop was uh, too quick on the trigger. Oh, absolutely. Cheryl? You have been yeah. very informative. You've been very informative to our guest tonight. Uh, can you tell the folks? I'd like to give you some closing remarks to share with America, really quick. How do we get out of this mess? Your experience. What do we do? We've been here before. We've had discussions before. How do we make this situation different? To say we close this chapter and begin a new one. Your thoughts? Well, real quickly, you know, we're in an election year. And so this is a, a great opportunity for, you know, for us to exercise our, our uh, ability to vote for people who value our lives and, 
and it's important that we make sure that we vote for governors and district attorneys and um, police chiefs when uh, the opportunity presents itself um, to put people in a position of authority who are going to listen to our demands and validate our needs, um, listen to our complaints, um, give credence to what it is that we say, because I'm not really encouraged that this shooting, these two shootings, uh, even the incident in Dallas is going to be enough to really persuade our legislators to do anything uh, unless we force them to. With each shooting that we see, I, I think, my God, that was so terrible. It, they can't outdo themselves. But police officers seem to be the gift that keep on giving, the bad ones. And so the onus is on us to do something about it by putting people in positions of authority who will honor our black lives. No, absolutely, Cheryl. Thank you so much uh, for taking time with us. You, you, we actually consider you family here at AJC Radio and a Just Cause. You've been a delight tonight. Your information hopefully will settle in the hearts of America that it's time to do something. And, and your uh, uh, direct, direct responses and, and just telling it like it is, I'll tell you what, it's refreshing. We need to have more of that as we continue to fight this fight of injustice in a very race-divided America right now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Take care. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen of America, on the other side of this break, we hear from Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Took the time to talk to us yesterday about the events unfolding in a troubling world to a lot of Americans, not only America, but around the globe. We're going to hear from her also a little bit of what the president had to say today. We're going to let you hear that. Folks, don't go nowhere or anywhere, whatever's proper. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio as we continue to talk about the double standard and race in America. We'll be right back. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the lights. A barred police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young black You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place 
for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we have talked about some issues that are thought-provoking, and we appreciate the comments from Pastor Rose Banks along with Cheryl Dorsey and Areva Martin. Folks, this is serious conversation. Right now we take you with that impromptu interview with Congressman Barbara Lee, who has something to say about the condition of America right now. Hi, Congresswoman Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Yeah, we just wanted to get your take on a few of the things that have been going on. We've been, we're actually doing our show focused on the shootings that have been going on, the things that have been going on in the nation as far as the African-Americans that are being killed, the police officers that are being killed. There's so much, so much uproar and just so much just unrest in the nation right now. Just wanted to get your take on it and what you think would be is going to be the outcome of all this. Well, first, it's a very sad time. I mean, the whole country's uh, grieving and mourning the loss of life, just senseless loss of life uh, by the use of, of guns that, uh, you know, first of all, shouldn't be on the streets of America, such as the gun that was used to kill the five officers. And so my thoughts and prayers go out to the families of, of the young men who were shot in Minnesota and in Baton Rouge and the families of the five officers. I mean, this was 
a very sad time. Uh, it's a sad time, and it hopefully brings people together to reflect on what is taking place. African Americans, since our beginning here, we've known the institutional and systemic uh, racism that's embedded in all of our institutions here. And so we need to pause and really understand what what impact that has had in terms of the racial disparities and, and the the real racism that exists and the fears, unfortunately. And so we've got to do many things to, to increase trust between the police officers and the community. Uh, one is we need to have better police training. Uh, in terms of de-escalation of violence, the use of force should not be the first option. That should never be the first option, killing someone if, uh, based on, you know, fear. Uh, de-escalation is important. Cultural sensitivity and implicit bias uh, programs and training should be part of this. We need grand jury reform. Uh, we need transparency, you know. Our public safety officials, the majority of them, are doing the right thing, but those that aren't need to be held accountable. We need some transparency. And also we need gun safety legislation. When you look at just basics, the NRA is really controlling this agenda. When you look at background checks, when you're looking at no fly, no buy, assault weapon ban, when you look at all of these just very moderate gun safety measures, we can't even pass pass them at the national level because of the NRA. And so people have got to take this moment to really ask the question, why is the NRA, you know, dictating the agenda that is an agenda that causes so much death in in our country? And so now is the time to pause and reevaluate together, everyone, uh, where we are, and understand that violence begets violence but also that we're our brothers and sisters keeper and, and figure out a path forward. But it's got to be both at the community level and we've got to deal with the policies and the systemic and structural racism that is so much a part of the fabric of the life of, of American society. Uh, absolutely. I agree with you, Congresswoman. Um, one question. I was listening the other day to a reporter on CNN who was speaking in regards to this issue, and he was saying that, uh, that a lot of people talk about police officers needing the proper training. And he said, but before we get to even the training issue, we have to make sure that we have the right people in these positions. If you get someone uh, with a badge and a gun who really shouldn't have one, who maybe has that type of God complex or feels like uh, that if I have this, then I can do whatever I want, they need to get the right people in these positions, first of all. And before they even talk about getting them trained, make sure you have people that are above board, people that have a moral, a high moral uh, standing that are not going to feel like it's okay to just go out and do this this way. Absolutely, you, and that involves uh, better recruitment, but it also involves standards that police departments should establish, and also racial and cultural sensitivity uh, exams, you know, implicit bias surveys and studies, to really determine if people, uh, future uh, public uh, police officers really understand the implicit bias that they may or may not carry to the job. So even before uh, police officers are hired, a lot needs to be done in terms of the standards and in terms of looking at the job description, um, you know, if you will, and to look at the recruitment efforts. And, of course, you know, a few bad apples really taint the entire force. And we know that the majority of police officers uh, are doing a good job and they're to protect the public. But those that, um, however they get in into the force, need they need to be uh, dealt with, uh, you know, and held accountable. 
but also we need to, as you say, we need to make sure that they're not, the the person who has these biases and, and doesn't understand, you know, different communities or community policing or, you know, whatever is necessary to help de-escalate violence, that they should not be hired. Oh, absolutely. Congressman Lee Lamont here, uh, and i got a question for you uh, or a comment, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I ran into a gentleman yesterday that told me that he believed that all all lives matter. And we know the scrutiny that Black Lives Matter has come under, which I think is completely unfair. Uh, and this is the, this is what my point was to him, Congressman Lee. I said to him, if we're seeing a, a, a whole slew of white men, black men, Asians, Latinos getting killed in our streets, then the conversation would be all lives matter. And we understand all lives. I believe it's a given that all lives matter. But right now, the, the, the issue and the epidemic right now is our black uh, kids are getting killed and our black men and women, for that matter, are getting killed, whether they're in custody, whether they're getting pulled over. That is the issue. And it seems to me that the mainstream media just simply does not want to address that. When we look at the gentleman in Dallas that went what he did, and we don't excuse any of that. We don't justify any of that. But how do we, the core of what prompted this man to do what he did, I believe, was the racial issues in this country. Nobody so wants the to race talk. has been swept under the rug for so long, and, yes. uh, you know, you're absolutely correct. Those that, uh, you know, are condemning either the Black Lives Movement or Black Lives Matter you know, don't even get it, or they're trying to divert attention away from the real issue. Black lives uh, have not mattered in many respects, and all we're saying is that they do matter. And so we... Well, there you have it. Lisa, we... Uh, and ladies and gentlemen of America, if you wonder who that was talking as I introduced the clip, Congresswoman Barbara Lee... Uh, Lisa, talked to us yesterday in regards to the environment and the atmosphere of this country right now, which speaks to the racial, and she made a good point. Yes. When people attack black lives that matter, what Lisa, her words were, they just don't get it. Yeah. And yeah. we commend Congresswoman Barbara Lee for standing up and speaking out. Lisa, your thoughts as we interviewed her yesterday? Well, I think she had uh, a really good take on the situation as a whole. I don't think everybody sees it. Just like she's saying people don't get it, a lot of people that are talking about it don't get it. And she seems to have a really good uh, fix on it and a good understanding of the situation and what's going on. And she's not trying to step over it. She's just saying she's saying the same thing that most people should be saying, that we need to be dealing with the issues at hand. They ha they're issues that have been going on for years, many, many years, and they're still going on and they have to be dealt with. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, the congressman, congresswoman, excuse me, Barbara Lee, uh, and I think, Lisa, the, the Cliff Dennis, the, the Capitol Hill is in disarray right now because the country yeah. seems at a, is, is in a state of unrest. And to hear her take a stand uh, on, on the issue and to, Lisa, call it what it is, uh, refreshing. And uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, we appreciate you taking time with us. And, folks, before we go into the... What you didn't know about the RP6? Well, we'll be, we will be discussing the racial disparities that are, that Ariva alluded to. That there's a lot of things that contribute to this issue, and false incarcerations, wrongful convictions. We're going to get into that, but we're going to hear a little bit of what the president had to say trying to heal this nation. 
We also know that centuries of racial discrimination, of slavery and subjugation and Jim Crow, they didn't simply vanish with the end of lawful segregation. They didn't just stop when Dr. King made a speech or the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act were signed. Race relations have improved dramatically in my lifetime. Those who deny it are dishonoring the struggles that helped us achieve that progress. But we know But America, we know that bias remains. We know it. Whether you are black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Native American or of Middle Eastern descent, we have all seen this bigotry in our own lives at some point. We've heard it at times in our own homes. If we're honest, Perhaps we've heard prejudice in our own heads and felt it in our own hearts. We know that. And while some suffer far more under racism's burden, some feel to a far greater extent discrimination sting. Although most of us do our best to guard against it, and teach our children better. None of us is entirely innocent. No institution is entirely immune. And that includes our police departments. We know this. And so when African Americans from all walks of life, from different communities across the country, voice a growing despair over what they perceive to be unequal treatment, when study after study shows that whites and people of color experience the criminal justice system differently. So that if you're black, you're more likely to be pulled over or searched or arrested. More likely to get longer sentences. More likely to get the death penalty for the same crime. When mothers and fathers raise their kids right and have the talk about how to respond if stopped by a police officer, yes sir, no sir, but still fear that something terrible may happen when their child walks out the door. Still fear that kids being stupid and not quite doing things right might end in tragedy. When all this takes place more than 50 years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, we cannot simply turn away and dismiss those in peaceful protest as troublemakers or paranoid. We can't simply dismiss it as a symptom of political correctness or reverse racism. Well, those are some powerful words, Dennis, Cliff, Lisa. When you hear the president, 
uh, all you can sit back and say is wow. And he's calling uh, for accountability. And his message is clear. We know the truth. The question is, are we ready to deal with it? And President Obama, we salute you tonight for your words to try to heal and bring people together and heal this nation. The IRP-6, what you didn't know, the racial divide in an unbelievable case starts right now. But just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11 year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions. The name of our company. I testified. And then Gary objected. A broke broke out. Because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind. And we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time. Some 200 pages but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright, of the RP6 tragedy, go to YouTube, search the race card, you don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. 
and they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. It became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the IRP-6, another prime example of racial disparities in this country wrongfully convicted, stripped from their families, their homes, and done completely bad, as uh, federal judge H. Lee Sarakin called it, Cliff, a huge miscarriage of justice. Who are these men? David Banks, David Sapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And what you didn't know tonight about the RP6, but what you definitely know, race played a factor. Cliff, as we researched before regarding how these men were targeted, how a black pastor was targeted. All, I wonder, and I'm going to say what the governor said uh, in regards to the uh, uh, Mr. Castile shooting. I wonder tonight, and I don't have to wonder, had Pastor Banks been white? Had the IRP6 been white? Coming up with an idea to keep the homeland safe. Cliff, they probably wouldn't be in prison right now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you look at the Fortune 500 companies who were uh, competition to them. And, um, you know, every small business owner has a dream to say, you know, I want to uh, develop, market, and sell a product to make my dreams come true. And in the case of the IRP6, to also help protect the, the company, the country, rather, uh, by creating law enforcement software. And I remember, because I did work there, but I remember at the times when Department of Homeland Security uh, when they sent these large Fortune 500 competing companies to IRP Solutions, say, hey, they have what we're looking for. 
but uh, you know, if you if you want a piece of the pie, in essence, you'll need to talk to IRP Solutions, and and they're they're just rage at the fact that you know here's a black-owned business uh, with a handful of uh, engineers that have garnered the attention of Department of Homeland Homeland Security for a, a billion-dollar project, and that was well, just something they weren't willing to uh, deal with. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear more about the IRP six, David Banks. Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker. Tonight we do something a little different. Everybody's crying for leadership. Pastor Banks puts it on the line. Good night, America. <laughs> 